0: I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not on the High Street and Holly & Co., I'm the UK Ambassador of Creative Small Businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life, and my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom, and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favorite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs, and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor, NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration.
1: Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to.
0: In the same week that I launched my new account on Instagram called Holly's Entrepreneur's School, it was a brilliant coincidence to welcome my guest, Donna Wilson, whose diamond was nurtured by her grandmother at a very young age and who has gone on to build the most phenomenal career, both in the UK and internationally. "'It was such a pleasure. "'Having never met Donna, but long been an admirer, "'she welcomed me in and it felt like a home away from home "'in her East London studio, "'surrounded by all her amazing knitted creatures.'" We discussed how she honed her homegrown talents into the business it is today, charting her magical time at the RCA before watching her products pop up all over the globe. With creativity and sustainability at the very heart of her business, we discussed the vital importance of UK manufacturing, as well as exploring how true collaboration and a network and talent is key. I do hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed recording it. Hi, Donna. Thank you so much for having me here today in your beautiful East London studio, surrounded by so many Donna Wilson goodies. You've just taken me around the studio, compact into this little space, so much creativity. It's just (laughs) beautiful. There were thrills in the office when I announced that I was coming to interview you. And before coming here today, we've been drawling over your knitted jumpers, scarves on your website. They are all so, so beautiful. And I can't wait to hear about your story because it is a really inspirational one. So thank you, Donna, for having me here today. Oh, you're welcome. So I'd love to start by asking you about your upbringing. You grew up in a very rural setting of Banff in Aberdeenshire on your parents' farm, which sounds glorious. What was your childhood like living so rurally?
2: It was pretty idyllic I think. Now that I'm not living there, I'm in London, looking back on my childhood, I think I had quite a lot of freedom and I I I'm really sort of aware of all the sort of differences between my childhood and now mine of my kids because you know I'm bringing them in, up in London and technology's completely different now as well. So I we were, most of the time we were we spent outdoors sort of making mud pies and walking around in the fields and a lot of pl- just sort of being at one with nature, a lot of just kind of left on our- to our own devices I don't remember my mom ever sort of sitting down playing with me or anything like that. It was right, okay, out you go into the garden or into the round at the farm. Because um, you had a hen house, is that right? I had a we had a hen house and we'd made that like a little housey. Um, we also all our friends from the town really wanted to come and stay at our house because we had animals. We had cats having kittens. We'd follow the cat the cats around the farm and we had pet sheep. So yeah, my childhood. I think I was. We just i never remember sort of feeling bored I feel yeah. I feel like we were always just Nature
0: kept, nature kept you occupied yeah I and mean, we
2: just sort of told to get on with it it wasn't too much fussing around <laughs> yeah yeah which is totally different to the way I am I think now
0: yeah all, um,
2: all parents are now yeah I, suppose. I mean my kids I was trying to do something with them last night and it took like five minutes and they were bored you know um so I, I do try and get them outside as much as I I can so and we live quite near the forest so I'm like trying to put that little bit of nature into their childhood but yeah mine was really about nature um, more oh, than anything so
0: beautiful and is that where your creativity was discovered i read that you had a wonderful grandmother who taught you some valuable lessons in life from a very young age
2: yeah yeah so my grandma was um she was an infant school teacher uh, retired by the time you know we were sort of four or five and we would go to her house quite a lot, and she'd sit us down and teach us how to draw and paint. And I remember really clearly, she would. She was quite strict. She would say to us, "What? Why have you done blue on top of like this? You know how kids draw sky at the top of a page, and there's nothing underneath, and there's like some." So she "Why is the? Why look out the window, Donna? And the sky goes right down to the ground." And uh, she would just really teach us to look really closely at things. And she'd always have little setups of like a fruit bowl or a vase of flowers and we'd have to sit and draw and but we love I mean not that she made us do it we just loved loved doing it. it she was such a great teacher and then after that she would take our drawings and she would get them framed and then she would sell them in these local little art shows and craft shows so from quite an early age I remember thinking I can make a bit of money selling my artwork and I really remember I did a life drawing and I think that yeah she got it framed and I ended up getting like making 50 pounds from it and I was like wow that's not bad for you know a 11 year old kid or whatever. So you must be pretty good by the way your grandma spotted that she had two
0: you, you did this with your sister as well yeah, didn't you? My sister, so she must yeah. have spotted hang on a second I've got two people here that I could uh yeah. sell their artwork at the local I, market.
2: I guess uh, yeah I must have been quite good I think you know, when you just practice something over and over again, it's like that thousand hour thing. I just love doing it. So any time I was sort of sitting at a table, I'd have a pen in my my hand and I would be doodling and it it wasn't anything. It was just drawing continuously. It was a bit of paper or an envelope or something. I'd be doodling all over it. I just really loved anything creative. So I had craft kits. I had um, a kit to make candles. And at that point I was my we had a sort of old farmhouse and my room was in the attic somehow I had this two pots with boiling wax on a little gas stove in the attic (laughs) making candles I mean with no one supervising me would you be letting your kids do this right now (laughs) definitely not my kids no (laughs) um so and and I guess my mum and dad and family knew that that's what I just loved doing so they would give me all these kits and things to make and so I was super happy doing that clay clay making mirrors and jewellery and things like that, really young. Um, But yeah, so I definitely had an interest in it. And I remember at school really early on in primary school the teacher sort of using my drawing as a as a sort of oh look this is the kind of thing we want an example um and that gave me super so much confidence that was the first time I thought oh I'm actually quite good at this and there was me and another girl that were quite good at drawing and that was so important because I don't think I was very good at anything else it was just that and that's what I kind of got a name for very early on and I knew if if anything else if all else fails that's what I'm good at and it that was really important i think
0: it's really interesting that you mentioned that because um i truly believe in in this finding a child's diamond my mum calls it um, someone's peacock feathers yeah. you know so you you think about your grandmother giving you all that confidence you know selling your artwork that must have given you that you know i call it a mudly wiggle where my dog mudley's bottom goes side <laughs> to side so i call it a yeah. mudley wiggle where you get you know you must have felt so empowered and then your teacher said that to you as well and i think That is the thing, isn't it? That you don't need any child to be great at 10 things, which is what we're doing in our education system today. Just one. Mm -hmm. You sort of knew that teacher said, you're really good at this. And that's what you then started to get known for. Again, like a mathematician, you know, a young child who's fantastic at numbers. That's what he gets known for. A great drama student. That's what she gets known for. It's that thing. And we need to try and champion um, those
2: diamonds in our children just to give
0: them something to Anchor their personality on yeah, When they're finding anything. their feet isn't Yeah it?
2: and that's all I want for my kids Is just to find their thing And if they find their thing I think they'll be okay Because yeah. so it's just that thing that gives you sort of an edge over someone else at the same you know I, and I keep saying it doesn't matter you don't have to be good at everything just try your best and do and if you like one thing that's all you you, you need really you need so, a life yeah
0: and it's powerful to see that um, children are influenced by their parents work ethic or seeing them follow their dreams seeing their parents following their dreams you know I look at yeah. your children now and they're going to see mum who is an entrepreneur who's started a business now for nearly coming up 20 years and how mothers and grand. Mothers and grandfathers and fathers can absolutely inspire the next generation. And um, what a lovely grandmother you did. Yeah, have. I was so I lucky mean, with her. Really it. lucky. And so, growing up, you were always creative, as you were just mentioning, and you led you to study at Gray's School of Art in Aberdeen. And then you moved to London to do your master's degree at the incredibly prestigious Royal College of Art. What was that experience like, that move from Aberdeen and this sort of wilderness life i suppose mm-hmm. in this in 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 the countryside to london and studying at the rca
2: oh that was a huge moment in my life and i remember before I moved down to London London was like quite a big scary place for me and my mum and dad so we'd been like a few times but it wasn't like we weren't familiar with it or the areas and um my mum and dad were like well you know we're gonna lose her now and I remember thinking, no no I'm just gonna move down for one year just get some experience and I'll be back and then of course I've got stuck now but I do remember feeling like getting on the tube and I had my kind of smart well actually sorry I moved down to London for a job to start with Um, and so I finished my BA at at Gray School of Art finished there and then decided to send out a million cvs to anybody that sort of was would have you would have me or anything related to textiles because yes. in aberdeen or in scotland there weren't really that many companies you could go and work for that were textile related they'd all sort of disappeared sadly so my plan was to write a million cvs um to anybody that was textile related i moved down to london with a you know, one suitcase and I had my smart clothes that I'd bought for this office job. I got an office job. It was an assistant designer for a knitwear company and it was just off Oxford Street. So the shock from coming from Aberdeen, from being an art school to suddenly working in an office just off Oxford Street. Yeah. And I remember coming down the tube and I was like, I feel just as people say, I feel like a number. I don't feel like a person. It's there's so many people and just the busyness of it all. I was like, I was slightly overwhelmed. And then also the sort of formal atmosphere of working in an office that was completely alien to me, too, because, as I said, I grew up on a farm. My dad was, you know, self-employed. His work was really a lifestyle. It wasn't a job. It isn't a job, it is, it's a lifestyle and that's what I was used to. So then I was like nine till five, which was great in some ways because I was like, oh, I've got, I, I go home Evening at five <laughs> and then I can go shopping because I've got money. And I was like, it was really, really great in the beginning Um And then I sort of slowly realised that working in office wasn't, that kind of environment wasn't really for me. And I wanted to be, I felt like I wasn't being creative enough. So that was when I applied for the Royal College of Art and thankfully got in second time. And then I started the Royal College of Art with... A lot of experience because I had the two years in between, and that was really great for me because I'd had two years working in a job, and I knew what it was like, and I knew that actually that's not really what I want to do. I want to be my own boss <laughs> don't yeah. like being told what to do. yeah, I kind of want that lifestyle thing, even though I know it's really tough, I know it's really hard, I know I probably won't get paid for the next ten years properly it was it wasn't a choice, it was just something I really needed to do so I went to the Royal College of Art kind of knowing that, not knowing what I'd end up doing, but knowing that in my heart that after I finish there, I want to set up my own company. So that was great. And being in London, I mean, so many opportunities that I just wouldn't have had up in Scotland, to to be honest. It's easier now, I think, because you've got you know, Instagram, the social media, all mm. that. I think that's easier to get your stuff out there now. But at that point, that wasn't really, um, didn't really exist. No, it didn't. So the opportunities, the networks of people, I went to see show. I was just exposed to sort of so many cultural influences and things. And
0: you things. had fantastic tutors as well. Yeah,
2: I had fantastic tutors. And that was that was really, really important because I had one person who really believed in me, and she, Freddie Robbins, her name was. And I mean, to be honest, all of them were great, but Freddie particularly just really kind of got me. And it's it's like you meet these people in your life every now and again, and they kind of just get you, and they kind of bring something out of you and empower you, as you say, because just having, if you look up to them, you sort of, and they kind of, they can sort of encourage you you're just like wow you know they, they that really means a lot so it just gave me so much confidence having her kind of her backing and she was encouragement at, um,
0: at someone mentioned on our po- podcast I think it was Wilfred Emmanuel Jones um from the Black Farmers said you meet guardian angels on yeah. this on this journey in business That's so true and yeah. she was a guardian angel you yeah. know you meet them at different times and they're just there to take you to the next step and it was at the RCA that you discovered your diamond you know you started yeah. working on the knitting machines which you loved and it's where you created your Donut Wilson style. Can you tell us about that time and how you discovered what you were most passionate about?
2: Yeah well being at the RCA was just like a melting pot of influences and things so you have your colleagues who are all kind of coming from different places and then you have your tutors and then they have visiting lecturers so for me it was so great having like all these people around that were sort of on the same level creatively and I started working with a design product student because I really liked the design product department it seemed really kind of fun and exciting and we worked on a rug I remember we made this It was called Hands-On Rug and it was made out of um, thirty-six thousand glove fingers and we sat in a room and stuffed them all. It took about two weeks to stuff them all with foam and then we like set them all into polyurethane rubber and we made this beautiful carpet of fingers, (laughs) glove fingers, which was totally unsellable. But you get the chance, I think at the Royal College, you get the chance to just do anything and not worry about having to sell it, which was Mm. amazing. Not until later, until you leave. Yes. <laughs> um, but just having like that time to be creative without any kind of boundaries. And if anything, they're just sort of there to push you through those, break those rules, break those boundaries. And I find that just so great for me. And especially at that point in my life, I was so ready for it. And I'd love to go back there again for just for that reason. <laughs> to have the time, just yeah. have two years to just experiment and really... Um, develop what you're what you're interested in.
0: So you found your your knitting love there? you you've you yeah, this this creative sort of journey that you were going on?
2: Yeah, and I was actually doing mixed media, so I didn't do knit, but I'd sort of taught myself to knit and I was I was in I was really enjoying the knitting because it would it would allow me to create have the control over the type of fabric I'm making and it was actually in between first and second year I started making dolls Um it was my holidays I was like what I'm going to make with these knitted samples I've done and so I start I don't know why but I started making these kind of little long leggy dolls and took them into college when I returned into my second year and my tutor then Freddie Robbins was saying oh they're they're great you should take them around some stores you know and I think just having her say that and I was like I was very shy, actually, all through my life. I've been very shy, but this was like, "Oh, okay, I should just do this. Let's push yourself. Come on!" And so I went round to a shop called Cuvature, which was on King's Road, with these dolls in my bag. And I remember like being really nervous to go in. And it's you know, I went in and they said, "Is the is just, would you be interested in see, seeing some of my work?" Um, I'm at the Royal College of Art, and blah blah blah. And they said, "Oh, just leave them there. We'll call you back in half an hour." So I went out, went and had a coffee. And I got a call straight away and they said, oh, we really love them. We'd love to take them all, actually. So I started making these long leggy dolls. They were quite minimal. They had two eyes. They had. Um, they were all completely different. So they're made out of different, actually used um, skin coloured jumpers. So I'd go to charity shops and buy different skin tones of jumpers, cut them up. and Then I'd make hair and clothing for them. And they could look like people or they could just be kind of mad random ones. And so I would make them right the way through my second year at college and that I'd get f- like 400 pounds a month for 20 dolls. I never got bored of making them because they were all different. And um, that was the start actually of me. Um, producing things Starting and selling, business. yeah, and so it's yeah. just
0: amazing. And your your grandmother's entrepreneurial advice really kicked in, as you didn't just wait to be discovered. As you said, there was no social media back then, and it's 2003, and there wasn't any online marketplaces, and there were these, you know, shops. And I think we forget that that's what you can do. You can just knock on a door. And the worst that will happen is they say no. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily yeah. for you, they said yes. And you you know, we were talking to Eleanor from Marby and Elm and um she said on this podcast that she was watching The Apprentice and it hadn't even occurred to us, so, you know, they they all have to go and sell their wares, don't they? And and she just thought, Yes, that's what I need to do. So she knocked on Liberty's Door and mm-hmm. it's changed the course of her her business forever yeah so your donna dolls actually paid your rent through uni yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know and how genius that these beautiful dolls uh, that are less ordinary so they're not your classic doll and you actually had a final show where you had an entire collection of donna dolls and there was this this moment wasn't there where tell me about that moment
2: so after the doll selling the dolls throughout the um, the year, I uh, another um, sort of bit of advice that Freddie gave me was like, well, you can do these dolls now. How are you going to make them different? How are you going to make them even less conventional? Make them weirder, you know. So she encouraged me to sort of. So I did make them weirder, and they became sort of these things that we call creatures now. So at the end of the RCA, yeah, I had a, a big show and I had a whole room of them and there was a few people coming to see it and I remember talking to one man and I didn't know who he was and I was just chatting to him and he was like what are they called and I was making up names off the top of my head I think oh they they have to be called something and then he gave me his card at the end and he said yeah I'll take them all and I was like oh wow and uh, I looked at his card and he was he was called Murray Moss and he was a sort of really influential design guru kind of person he had a shop in New York and Green Street so sent all these dolls over to him, creatures over to him. He put on a show and then it sort of started the ball rolling. So a lot of people kind of looked to his shop for inspiration and then they would see them there. And then other shops came to me and said, Would would I make some for them? So that is sort of really how it started. Pretty and good
0: for your final uh, show, huh?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know. basically your biggest order at the end, isn't it? So you had yeah. your business
0: then got the biggest order and then that set you up for exactly what you yeah. knew you were going to do,
2: is set up your own business. But I remember being so unorganised at that point because I didn't know, I, I had this wall of creatures and some of them I'd sold to people and some of them I was like, oh my God, what do I do afterwards? And I was like trying to remember what, who I'd taken money from and if it, oh, it was just <laughs> such a mess. So it was like really in, in at the deep in, end. In the deep end. So yeah. you graduated
0: and you started your business. Tell me just, you know, what it was like getting I suppose what I'm alluding to is those sort of processes or or or, or some framework for your magical creatures?
2: Um, well I feel like because of my dad's as I said my dad's a farmer and my mum helps with all that sort of running of the company I think I saw them sort of doing vaguely what I was try, <laughs> trying to do um so they had I, cows you had creatures. Well, yeah sort of yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's no difference really no, is there no difference um, and I do remember one lesson one funny thing he said to me he was like Donna remember just remember make sure you're charging more money than it costs you to make it And it sounds so obvious, but I had looked at this tea cozy I was making and it was loads and loads of pom poms on it. And I worked out time and yarn costs and I was making minus 15 pounds every time I sold one. So I was like, okay, I'll cut that one out of the range. Um, So there was lots of lessons like that and lots of mistakes. Nothing like ridiculously major that would bankrupt me or something like that, but it was. There was just a lot of like quick learning. I didn't do any sort of business course or anything. I think I just I kind of got it and I'm quite I'm grateful that I've got that kind of brain that I can switch from the business side to the creative side. It's not always that easy. There's been ups and downs obviously, but I I quite like the challenge of making making my work, but make it work, make everything really streamlined and make sure we kind of efficiency, make efficiency. yeah and those
0: things. Yeah, yeah, making a business out of your creativity, which sometimes, you know, people I um, that I speak to find it very difficult that, you know, they'll say they feel so creative that they couldn't possibly really run a business, you know. And, and I always try and very much encourage them that actually – if the passion is to make a living doing what you love, then it's just that side of the brain hasn't been worked as much as your creative side. Yeah. So just give it a shot. You yeah. Know, work that muscle. It. And as you said, make mistakes, mm-hmm. move on, mm-hmm. keep going.
2: Don't try and make not make the big ones. <laughs> um, but you know that actually yeah. we
0: all have it
2: within us yeah. to do this. Yeah. And I think like if as you say, if your passion is to make it a viable business, you have to make that side work. So you have to just get on with it and try it and make mistakes but put yourself in that position because if you always say I'm not good at that you're never going to get good at it are you so and I quite like being in control of the whole side of it I, I wouldn't I don't think I'd work well with a business partner I think I'm too like I want to do everything <laughs> yeah yeah so which again um, is great that you
0: sort of knew you know um, yeah that that was what you how you wanted to structure your business and and interestingly when researching you and as I say as we stalked you slightly and uh know lots about Donna Wilson um how highly popular you were in and are in Japan and actually it was there that you got your first real taste am I right in saying that of success what do you think it was that they loved about your products and would you recommend to other small businesses selling internationally because actually your first big order was in New Mm -hmm. York you know right from the off yeah
2: yeah tell me about that yeah um I met a couple actually at the same show I think as the one I was talking to about before um, who then invited me over to do a show in Japan and I just this was amazing for me because that was I'd always wanted to go to Japan and they weren't paying for any of it but I was like it doesn't matter I'm gonna go anyway I'm gonna pay for my own ticket and I actually got my mum and my auntie to come over too, with suitcases full of these creatures and trees and blankets and things as well and I remember because they were flying from Scotland and I was flying from London and we met and I was like this is so surreal (laughs) Um and so yeah the the success in Japan, I think I, I remember the show we put on, and it was so fantastic. It was so different from anything here. um They really helped me sort of set it all up and I had this kind of massive, empty space to fill with these kind of knitted trees and creatures hanging from the ceiling and then I went back after that trip and they said they did say to me oh don't donna your work's very expensive for for japan you know i don't think you're going to sell very much and then suddenly we got fax through fax machines at that time (laughs) uh, of like orders for hundreds of creatures and they were it was like 20 of rudy raccoon and 50 of cyril squirrel and 100 of these coaster things that i was making and and suddenly i was like and they they phoned me is this okay and i was like yeah yeah sure no problem (laughs) mom (laughs) <laughs> how, how am I going to do this? <laughs> and so I was like, oh, my God, I've got to quickly um, work out how to get this production um, a bit more professional rather than me just knitting on the machine with my arm back and forth. So, yeah, selling internationally is it was so sort of important for my business. So not only Japan, as you say, the U.S., because I think in the U.K., it's probably not the right market for everything. And also you, when you open up to like a wider market, then there's just so much more opportunities and more money. And there are people that, if you it's just finding that niche. I think it's the secret, isn't it? So I sort of think that all work can sell if it's in the right place, if it's presented in the right place, in the right context. So it's the, the sort of secret is finding that place where your work is with other people similar or a little bit different, but so that you can sort of stand out. We do two trade shows a year. We do one in New York called New York Gift Fair and we do Maison et Objet in Paris. So we're open to sort of that whole European market as well. We'd never have survived if we were just sort of UK only.
0: And it's so interesting because I think that the... And we're going to talk about the British high street that then adopted you into it and, and loved what you did. But as you're saying, without that international love, you probably wouldn't be here today. And I think people like anything that they're taking on. You know, international is scary. But ultimately what you're saying is, you know, we're a planet of human beings. You found those Donna fans in Japan, the Donna fans in America, the Donna fans in Europe. And you're just giving them Donna, who happens to be based in the UK. Now, with social media and the internet and all of these things, which you didn't have, by the way, at the time, it makes it a lot easier. Is, is it a barrier or do you just think it's a barrier in our minds as small businesses? You know, this international
2: commerce. Oh, I've, I've never really found it a barrier. So um, this is just so no. empowering,
0: you saying that, yeah. you know, so from a creative creating creatures that could be called niche you have found that actually trading across the globe which you know at the RCA you know people might have said oh Donna she's so creative you know no
2: (laughs) you're 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 selling across the globe and you don't you didn't even look at it that way no no I've never looked at it that way and I think my sort of mission was to try and find places that these this this product that I'd created would sell so I kind of went about it in that way rather than thinking like where would I like to sell you know maybe that's the way I I sort of went about it quite a way that actually feels less
0: um scary maybe yeah yeah you know so you just it just became a natural progression then you started stocking the renowned design shops such as um scp and the high street came calling heels and john lewis approached you to stock them which must have been a real moment for you and I know so many businesses who would have love to stock you know, shops with that sort of size and those sort of order quantities so early on in their business. What were your feelings around stocking such big businesses? And was it exciting? Were you nervous? You know, were you protective over your brand?
2: I do remember when I got called into John Lewis and the buyer there, she was called Denise Phillips, I think she was brilliant. She was so supportive, but she she was really conscious of how much can you produce? Is this going to be way too much for you? But I'm the kind of person that will say yes to everything and then worry about the rest later. So I was like, Yeah, no, that's fine. You know, we'll find a way, we'll find a way. I'm trying to be super confident to her, and then getting home going, Right, we've got to work we, this we could out. We've got to work this one out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and what sort of order quantities were um, they at the well, beginning? Well, for so I. Designed this cushion which had an owl on it. It was quite kind of graphic and Scandinavian feeling. And I think it was just before all that whole Scandinavian thing came out. And there was a fox cushion. So those two were kind of our big sellers. And they would, John Lewis would buy maybe, I think it was orders of like, say, 50s or 100s every kind of few weeks. So it really like upped our production. And I was really lucky because I found a knitwear company in Scotland that was a husband and wife team and they were brilliant because in the early days I couldn't do high minimums I could only do sort of 50 was a push to sell of something of one thing but they took a chance on me and they were like they could see there was potential I think so he didn't mind about that so I'd been working with them for a while anyway so when I came to him with an order of you know 500 cushions he was Loving it, <laughs> yeah, and I was loving it too, because I was like well, that's great i'm giving them you know that's what? what they're set up to do, give them work, yeah, so, and for us, it meant that suddenly I was a bit overwhelmed um with how much I had to do, and I got a phone call from someone uh, about a job, and I was like, Oh, she said, oh um, I'm looking for a job, come down from scotland i'm I'm living in Brighton or something I was like." Well, actually, yeah, I do have quite a lot of stuff to get through. Maybe you could come for like a couple of months. And then in the end, she stayed for four years (laughs) because I was like, don't go, Louise. She was so good. (laughs) And so Um, she grew with you. Yeah, she grew.
0: Well, what a year it's been for our podcast. I've now recorded well over 50 episodes and taken the podcast on the road for the first time, welcoming Thomasina Myers, Levi Roots and Mark Constantine so far. Our final stops for the tour this year will be on the 7th of November at Birmingham Cathedral with the founder of Ella's Kitchen, Paul Lindley, OBE, and the 21st of November at The Hub in Edinburgh with. Charlie Gladstone, the founder of Peddlers and the Good Life Experience. Both evenings will include wonderful entertainment, magical Holly & Co. details, a fantastic opportunity to shop small businesses, drink a delicious tipple or two, mingle with like-minded people, make new friends, and I will ensure you'll be thoroughly and utterly inspired. I believe that one conversation has the ability to change the course of your life forever and I want it to be mine so don't delay get your tickets to conversations of inspiration the podcast live in partnership with NatWest and the Royal Bank of Scotland these are the last live episodes for this year so make sure you don't miss out head to holly.co to get yours today Every week there's an opportunity to have your very own ad break on this podcast and it's all thanks to our partner NatWest. NatWest's mission is to empower entrepreneurs and so they're offering their very own ad break on this very podcast to any small business listening to help promote themselves for free. For your chance to win this incredible opportunity, worth thousands and thousands of pounds. Take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreak at holly.co or find out more information on our website. This week's winner of our NatWest Independent Ad Break is Bampton House. Over to you.
1: Hi, I'm Holly and I'm the founder of Bampton House, my 100% natural skincare and candle brand. As a beautician by trade, me and my team all suffered from skin problems like eczema and it was just an accepted, even expected part of the job. I felt this need to change and so started researching ingredients in products and was horrified with my findings. So I started making my own soon my eczema cleared up and i had friends and clients asking me to make them a bottle and so bampton house was born by accident really we now have candles cuticle and body oils bar salts and soon to have balms and scrubs we are a team of three supplying salons and gift shops across oxfordshire i absolutely love making products and blending the essential oils and helping people improve their skin naturally so check out our instagram or our website bamptonhouse.co.uk
0: Like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people. Take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreaks at holly.co. We're looking for the wonderful stories that only small businesses can tell and have created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website holly.co. What have you got to lose? Get recording. I can't wait to have a listen. Now back to Conversations of Inspiration. This whole thing is so interesting. I'd love to talk to you about it, about the manufacturing side and the network of talented craftspeople and this model that is, you know, so special and clever. You know, one of my biggest passions is supporting craftsmanship, preserving our skills, supporting local makers. And your business is based on this. And going back to your roots, as you said, you grew up in rural Scotland where places like the Shetland Isles or Orkney and the Fair Isles are renowned for their beautiful craftsmanship. and incredible skills in knitting that have been passed from generation to generation. And we're all aware of the foul Knitted Jumper and you have makers and manufacturers for you there. You have a team of these outsourced makers and who create your creatures through knitting. And I read about Elaine, who lives in Orkney and has made over 3,000 of your cyril foxes. Is that right? Yeah,
2: cyril squirrel foxes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I met Elaine when I was working up in Orkney um, for another company uh, called Tate and & Style. And uh, she was an outworker for Tate & Style. She's an outworker for quite a few um, small small... small kind of brands up there at the time I was looking for someone to help me with make the dolls I think I was still even a student at the time and she was so good she was she's sort of in her 50s 60s um sorry Elaine if you're listening to this and then um she she just so kind of can-do attitude she would just be like yeah, yeah, I'll take them I'll do them I'll sort them out and she was really fast at sewing and how she does it is um, she would do the sort of machine sewing through the day and then it would fit kind of around her life really nicely and then in, in the evening she'd be watching TV and she'd turn them inside out and stuff them and then hand embroider the faces on them and then we would just get a big box sent down in the post of all these Cyril Squirrel Foxes which was is always a delight when you see and the nice thing about that is that these these creatures are still made in exactly the same way as I made them when I was at college. But they've got sort of different people's handwriting in the way they're mm. stitched, which is really nice. So when you're getting one, you're getting something that's had that handmade sort of quality in it. And it's a little bit different from the other one. And that was something I really wanted to hold on to. I think as I've grown, it's become harder sort of to work in that way because you need to produce more and you need... and. Working with UK manufacturers is is getting harder because the price is is so price sensitive. But what I'm realising now kind of going around in a full circle is that's my niche. That's my that's my thing that I can do in special sort of selling point is that we can do smaller runs of things. We can do things that are handmade and people are kind of interested in that again so I, I
0: i mean when we were talking just before the podcast i just think that this this manufacturing model um and for those listening who might be and as you said sometimes the manufacturing element of the uk is, is so price sensitive that actually you then start looking abroad and then that starts to just become a whole different kettle of fish whereas the idea that you have these makers this sort of extended donna wilson family creating products for you that are around her grandchildren and then in the evening she's watching TV and she's pulling them together. And do you have other Elaines as well? We have another,
2: we've got a couple of people that used to work here and then they maybe left because they've had babies or whatever. So they're sort of doing them around their, um, bringing up their kids. Yeah, we've got, I think it's about five or six people we work with. So a a Donna
0: Wilson brand has this Donna Wilson family creating all over the country, sending it back to HQ. (laughs) The customer then can buy that knowing as you said that either it's going to be um, Elaine's handiwork or someone else's handiwork and I just think it is inspirational and I hope for anyone listening that that might just spark a little bit of inspiration you know if you think about the world that we're going into and we've got to be eco-friendly and it's really important to our brands isn't it a great story to bring up on social media that you have all these people all over the country maybe making your products you're environmentally friendly you're keeping skills alive Mm -hmm. And it's that, as you said, it's just that difference, you know, and is that something that can fit into your business? And I know it has um, for you. And thinking about it before, you didn't do it for this very reason, but it's so sustainable, isn't it, in terms of your footprint on the world. You make these handmade small batches um, made by quality local materials, local crafters, and in a way, their little touch makes it even more of an heirloom, doesn't mm-hmm, it? Yeah. Do you think that this is going to be part of your future? As you said, do you think you now, after considering, you must have considered, okay, do I need to take it all up a notch?
2: Or- yeah, I had a, a few years of of kind of trying that out. And,
0: um, and what happened?
2: Well, it was really interesting because in the beginning, I this was, you know, I was all about, you know, as you say, keeping those skills alive. And um, I really wanted to work with, you know, you manufacturers that I kind of knew and made that relationship with. And it was it's never been about just producing stuff. But I kind of got, I think I got a bit sort of pushed along. And I worked I started working working with a licensing company who actually worked with Orla Cayley. And I started feeling like, oh, is this the direction I should be going? And I think it was it was really like I'm always oh, try something once you know you've got to try it but I guess what I've learned from that experience is it doesn't really work for me I think the joy in what I do is is doing things that are made by hand and that have that really special touch it's not about just trying to get figures and scale and sort of scaling up like making lots of things in different countries that you never sort of touch it's about the whole process of making and um the control of it the control of it and and feeling like we're sort of feeding into something that's good for our country and good for our community and that's all part of it for me so I guess what I've learned is that Because I think everyone asks you, what's your next five year plan? And so you kind of think you should have an answer and it should be, I've got to get bigger. I've got to. And now I've learned maybe that's not my, I don't want to get bigger anymore. I actually want to just sustain this, this the way we are, but obviously improve and learn and keep the creativity going because I think I'd also forgotten about the creativity and how important that part was and it happens
0: right you know when you scale a business and and it becomes bigger and opportunities knock on your door and you as you said I think it's so right and we should listen to what you just said you know try it once you know see if it works for you don't worry about what everyone else thinks you know does it work for your business and you did you you opened that door you went and tried it it didn't work for you but it's this idea that actually the the scale is, is what we need to go after um, yeah. and that somehow And you also
2: think scale equals money and it doesn't it's, mm-hmm. there's so many more overheads and so many more problems with scale so maybe it's okay to be a small company and I, and I quite I'd really enjoy the size you're at you know we've got I think it's eight people here in the studio um, a really nice sort of team and I recognize that you know with scale that that would probably all have to change and maybe that's not what I want anymore <laughs>
0: yeah well you're <laughs> you you're you're, you're doing what you love and you're you've built a good life company where yeah. you're balancing profits and happiness and yeah. and that's not to the detriment of being a successful business it's just no the fact and, you-
2: and that's important to mention you do need to make a profit otherwise mm. you're not going to be here so that side you have to pay really close attention to it and I think when you get bigger it's harder to pay attention to that as well so as tell, we all know me,
0: yes <laughs> as we very much know and i'd love to know what in terms of these opportunities have knocked on the donna wilson door the the knitted door i can imagine and, <laughs> and i'd love to know which projects have you been most proud of or do you have like a favorite product that you've made
2: oh um favorite product that i've made well a recent highlight was uh last I think it was this time last year, we were asked to do a whole kind of Christmas display window for Hermes in Paris. Um, So we went and we met with um, the team that were kind of putting it all together and we had to design these knitted horses because they're sort of originally like a saddlery company. And um, we knitted these big giant horses that stood up and had different jumpers and things like that and jewellery and bags and things on them. So that was a fun one. I think I've had so many amazing moments that um, I can't just choose one. I think there's been loads of things on the way that have sort of built up and then led on to other things. I did a, a music video for a guy I met at Glastonbury one year and he's just really small, but it was an animated creature-y video and it was so fun to do. And then... I
0: guess re- recently, sorry, the v in Dundee. V&A Dundee, just that, yeah, seal.
2: that was great because there's a whole story behind that. Because when they were building the v in Dundee, they f- they had to move a colony of seals um, while the building work was taking place, and they were all worried that they weren't going to come back again. But when they finished they get, did get the seals back so they so we made selkie seal for that and then I guess one of the main the biggest highlights was winning the L Decoration Designer of the Year award in 2010 I didn't even it wasn't even on my radar I was just I was just like so busy at that point in my life I was probably doing about 20 people's jobs because um, I hadn't learned to delegate very well and when I won that it was I was like wow that's really strange but amazing and then after that there was just so many things came with it because it just gave me that recognition and a sort of more you know people took me seriously after that yes. it wasn't just someone making knitted creatures.
0: It's incredible do you think that actually collaborations because I, I think about what you're just telling me here in the, the Paris windows, the SEAL, the VA, these these magical opportunities that have come your way, would you ever have dreamt of, you know, when in leaving on mm. that final show that these were going to be the opportunities in your life? Do you think that um, for those listening, that collaborations are actually really important? Because did you feel like it was like a turning point at each sort of great collaboration that the that, yeah, the exposure so. that, that
2: gave you definitely think even at the Royal College collaborating was really really important but I think collaborations they make you do something that's maybe out of your comfort zone and you you, when you're working with someone else you've obviously got their kind of input too and it just pushes you on to the to try something new and try something different which is so important because otherwise you just get stuck sort of in what you know so I think yeah collaborations have been really key key yeah key
0: points for Mm -hmm. you yeah What an incredible business this is and by 2023 you're going to be 20 years old as a business and I just recently interviewed Tati Devine for this podcast and they were reflecting back on their 20 years in business and seeing actually the next 20 years it was just this lovely moment and I'm definitely going to keep it and tell it to anyone that I meet that they just basically said well that is that part I close the the book on that 20 years and I'm going to open a completely fresh book for the next 20 years wow. so rather than going into the 30 you know the the, the next decade mm-hmm. and with that pressure of I've been in they just looked at it as okay this was an amazing ride okay so but what are we going to do for the next like almost like they were starting again yeah but with really good knowledge and a, yeah and a business yeah. behind what do you think is going to be you know, your next... Phase, and I'm not doing the classic. What's your five-year plan? Um, but what what is it? You know, you've been through recessions, you've been through the highs and lows, you've done 17 years. What what do you think that that momentum is going to give you for the future?
2: Well, I, it's interesting because I think I had a bit of a moment like that last year. So, sort of after my 15, 16 years, I had a point where I was sort of I went to some trade shows and I was looking around. And I was seeing everything it was so similar to what we were doing or had been doing and you know people were doing it better and i'm not saying they were copying but there's just the style and everything the genre was was like there whereas when i started it wasn't there so i I started like looking at everything going oh my god what and i had a bit of a moment of like i need to have a bit of a break from it and just stand back so last year i had a um creative retreat i didn't i just had three days three days away from the kids and everything (laughs)
0: Sorry, I was just literally <laughs> thinking you were going to, I was going to go, okay, Holly, here it comes. She had two months off from no. her business and it's okay. Everything is okay. So a classic <laughs> thing here. You know, I went on a creative retreat. Yeah, two days, 48 hours. Yeah. But you know, this was brilliant. Oh, After 15 years, so, I gave myself you know two days. It was so
2: good though. Just having some time to not, and I just didn't put any pressure on myself. I was like, you don't have to, I was trying to draw. It wasn't happening. I was like, you don't have to do that. Just, go on walks and I went to the beach I went to the place actually where my granny used to take me so it meant a lot to me kind of from that side of it but I I just went cleared my head and I could see when you stand back from things a bit you can see a bit clearer what's happening and I realised that I need to, um, as I said before, I really need to bring that creativity back in. So I started working with wood. I wanted to make sculptures and be sort of an artist, just as a side project, as a passion project. So I did that last year, at the end of last year, the beginning of this year. started making sort of wooden furniture and mirrors and chairs and things like that so I feel like that's I'm just really in the beginning of that and I of course I'm going to keep all my my business going because that really I do feel like it's quite a different sort of thing it's more of a it's more for the love of it I guess it'd be great if that worked but even if it doesn't I'm happy just to sort of try and be do you think it ignited yeah good things in you yes definitely definitely I think also I think I've been sort of aware of although there's this sort of economic um, thing there's things you know the high streets changing the way people are buying or change is changing so and I hadn't changed for a long long time I just sort of got into this routine of doing um, the same shows and the same sort of do a collection same sort of pattern and I, I think it just shook that up a little bit and I thought oh I don't have to do that anymore mm. actually remember I am my own boss I can do I don't have to fit to these patterns such a good point want to. because yeah.
0: it's I always say we are our own worst bosses you know because we suddenly start doing the nine to fives and apologizing you know for being a bit late even though you've been working for four hours that morning and do you And you you start to go I'm just going away for two days and don't worry but actually it's a creative retreat to keep the business going all these sort of things and you are your own boss yeah and actually this point of breaking the mold you know saying right actually I'm getting into a bit of a comfort zone here yeah and actually was that me 10 years ago no it wasn't so how do I keep it going and I also think you know you've got a strong brand because your pieces are instantly recognizable they might be niche but you've got an army of super fans and that's actually what you need isn't it you need your Donna fans around the world in this country and if you can find that and if you think about Orla Keeley or Rob Ryan or Tati Devine You know, they have a very true style and it's that style that people are are buying and and buying into with brand values that they believe in and the founders that they feel like they know and all those sorts of things.
2: Yeah, and I think that is so important when you're creating your brand and sticking to that style that people will recognise as you. And that's been so great for me. But I think what I did through that sort of few days off was think to myself, I don't have to stick to that style all the time. I can break free from that. And from doing that and not putting my pressure to keep to the style that I've always had to keep to, new things have come out of it. And maybe that's better or maybe it's just different. Um, I think it's like not not putting so much pressure on myself to kind of stick mm. to what I know as well. Just Well, maybe this to... brand
0: style has been this fantastic foundation now, yeah. you know, because actually you've needed it to get to this point, to maybe feel creatively empowered yeah. and confident to say, actually, maybe I have a brand enough to actually do something different yeah. and have that following because hopefully my loyal fans will like my next yeah. plight, my yeah. next thing that I'm going yeah. to create. Yeah. Don, it's been just, i could just really sit in this studio all day long i feel so at home i've got a i've got a fox a squirrel fox looking (laughs) at me um which i've sort of carried around your studio um, as we've been talking but i'd love to ask you on this roller coaster journey from your the 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 scottish windswept beach that you were walking on (laughs) with your grandmother to today um what has been one of your greatest lows while running this business
2: I was trying to think of like a a really bad thing that had happened and I guess like everything you I'm quite a positive person and I never really dwell on anything or try not to dwell on any bad things too much however I do remember uh, 2011 so it was the year after I won the award I had a sort of burnout complete burnout and I had, I had sort of panic attacks and a huge amount of anxiety and everything was going so well. So I d- couldn't even understand why. And I realised now it was because I was just so exhausted and I was doing about 20 people's jobs. And I think it's so important to just look after yourself mentally. So I went to the doctor and they said, well, what do you want us to do? You know, you're not depressed. You're just, you know, having a sort of, burnout moment and so I got um CBT cognitive behavioral mm. therapy and that was so great for me and I think it's really helped me deal with sort of stress and pressure since then so I think that was a low because um it's, it's not a low in some ways because it, it's taught me so much and how to deal with stress and anxiety and just basic like what you know life skills in a way I do remember that at, even when I was going through that process I think it was six weeks I had to go to this counsellor once a week and there was one week I just couldn't go because I was so busy and he phoned up and he was like Donna why are you not coming to the counselling session you know it's really important I was like had the phone on one shoulder like this and I was like sewing things or cutting things madly I was like I just don't have time he's like what are you doing I can hear you doing something in the background I was like yeah I can't stop I've got to he's like just stop for like five minutes um but it really taught me to To manage worrying so I was a big worrier and um, one thing he said was like don't worry about the past because that's all happened now there's no point in spending energy worrying about the past don't worry about the future because that hasn't even happened and I was always worrying about what if this happened what if this doesn't carry on what if someone leaves or what so I was always worrying about what was gonna happen in the future and it hadn't even happened just think about here and now and that that lesson alone has really helped me Gosh.
0: <laughs> yes here and now here and
2: now live for the moment live for
0: the moment I am living for the moment <laughs> talking with you and
2: conversely your greatest high if you greatest pick one high. um oh wow um I think it would be the al deco awards in 2010 because it led to so many interesting things well I, actually I think before that happened, I got um, an article in the New York Times and that was amazing because I met this journalist and didn't really know who she was. Of course, I've heard of the New York, New York Times. I was like, why are they wanting to talk to me? This, you know, I think it was about 2009. It was all about how I was quite niche and am I going to continue this niche or am I going to sell out? It's funny reading it now, but it really, I think it really led on to lots of things um, and I, seeing myself. In the New York Times and they sent a makeup artist and a hairdresser and everything for the (laughs) photos. Which is really weird. Yeah. How um, nice. Gosh, yeah. that's really nice. I, I don't know. think
0: like um, the Times or the Guardian would
2: give you uh,
0: a makeup artist. And, no, yeah. and then you get to fact check everything as well. Oh, so um, yes. it's totally different over there. That was a good experience. That was
2: great, yeah.
0: And so tell me Donna, someone that has inspired you that you could recommend that I might interview on this podcast?
2: Yeah, I think I mentioned it before. So Freddie Robbins was a huge inspiration to me at Royal College and afterwards she's so supportive of designers but also she's an artist in her own right and she's really subversive she's a really interesting person to talk to she's got a completely different view from anyone else and I really I kind of really admire that because she's not um the norm the norm she's not conforming so I think she'd be really interesting to speak to
0: oh yes I would (laughs) love to talk to her yeah and I can tell you know she's the one that said make them weirder yeah
2: I exactly, yeah. always remember that.
0: <laughs> Donna, thank you so much. Thank you. I know you're very busy. You're colourful. You're you you're in this wonderful studio. And I know you've got so much to get going um, with. But I, I think this story is going to be really helpful to any small businesses listening, thinking about lots of different things from manufacturing to is scale the right thing for my business? Um, am I just happy? And how we can keep craftsmanship alive and how you can create a successful business stocking many big high street shops, design shops and inspirational shops around the world with crazily wonderfully weird knitted creatures and that you've made a business doing that and I like to think we're carrying on your grandmother's message to you here today and how you can make a living selling your craft and doing exactly what you love. So it's that time in the podcast where I'm going to hand over to you for you to read your letter to your younger self and as um, anyone who listens to this podcast they know I do not see these letters before and It's just a moment that I relish. My glasses go on my head and I sit back and I hand over to you, Donna. Okay.
2: Dear 11-year-old me, I'm writing to tell you that you are doing just fine. You're exactly where you're supposed to be right now. Stop trying so hard to fit in. You will find people like you when you are a bit older. But for now, spend your time with friends that make you feel good about yourself and you will also bring joy to them. Forget about the people that may seem cool, popular, pretty. That all changes and you will realise that some of these people will have nothing more to offer you than that and they won't mean anything to you. Your lasting friendships are with people on a much deeper level, with people who accept you for being you. They will make you laugh and you them and you will have so many laughs with these great friends. Spend as much time as possible with your grandma. She's a true inspiration to so many people. She will pass some of her skills, her knowledge and her spirit to you. She will not always be around, so learn as much as you can from her. She is and always will be very proud of you and what you go on to achieve in your life. You are so lucky that you already know what your talent is and you have found it so young, so it will never go away and you will use it for the rest of your life. Creativity is your talent and a gift and you will need to nurture that and build on this forever. Like your grandma, you will travel to far off places which will open your mind up and show you other ways to live. Anything is possible and you will have to follow your own path. Please remember that you're in charge of your life, no one else's. So if you want something to happen, it's up to you to make it happen. To quote your gran, who wants to be the same as everyone anyway? Don't let fear or embarrassment or awkwardness hold you back. The more you do something that scares you, the easier it gets. Nothing is easy, but you know that already. When you have a problem or a challenge, learn to listen to your inner voice. Your instinct is so important, so have confidence in that. Have confidence in yourself. No matter how many times you achieve things, you still won't think you're good enough. Believe me, you are. And your determination and kindness and love for what you do will take you through and take you far. When you get to art school, you find your people. You will have so many laughs and make friends for life. This is a period in your life that will really set you up for your future. Embrace everything that comes your way. You'll meet some of the most creative people who are instantly drawn to you. Your passion to work hard gets incredible results. Even though your family doesn't always understand what you're doing, they're super proud and you get recognition for your hard work there is a time after that that you feel a bit lost and worried about what to do next this is when you realise that you have outgrown the city and it's time to move to London don't worry all these changes and experiences will give you confidence and teach you so much so even if it feels like the wrong job or the wrong choice I want to tell you that there are no wrong choices they are all experiences which will make you the person you are You will also learn that in this period you don't like working for other people and you want to be your own boss. It's an important lesson and you will need to go through that so you can shape your future how you want it. When you're 23, you will study at one of the most prestigious schools in the world. Here, again, you'll meet other creatives like you and make friends for life. Don't expect things will land on your lap. Some things will, but some things you need to work at. But there will be people who you will really respect and believe in you. This alone will give you the confidence to start your own business straight after you finish your MA. Stay positive and enthusiastic about everything and never lose that. Don't forget your family. Their experience may not be in the same field as you, but they will be the most honest to you and say things how they are. That honesty is what you need to grow. It might seem a bit overprotective and annoying, at right now but there will be a time where you feel that you are grateful for the values they've instilled and the work ethic they have shown you. This is part of you and one of the secrets to your success and running your business. So in the words of your mother there is no such word as can't and follow your heart and be original.
0: You know, Donna, it's just beautiful because I I picture you as a young girl with these—your mother, your father, the farm, Scotland, your grandmother, and all of these things that just got you—you you absorbed. And then you created your world, and you created your world through these magical creatures and the the, the uniqueness of those, but the uniqueness of you. And it's just been an honour to talk to you today. And I know so many people will be hanging on every word that you've just shared with us. So thank you from the bottom of my heart, Donna. Oh, thank thank you, you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks NatWest again for sponsoring this podcast. It wouldn't exist without them. And I know how many small businesses this podcast is actually helping. It's great to partner with an organisation that believes in empowering business owners. To make use of their free NatWest Business Hub, which is full of information, tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals, go to natwestbusinesshub.com. Also, have you heard of their incredible mission to help 400,000 more women start a business by 2025 to help female founders launch and scale their business? They have launched Back Her Business, a programme which helps women prepare their business idea for crowdfunding. Now, here's the best bit. Most of the funding will come from the crowd, where NatWest has teamed up with CrowdFunder, but the bank will provide a top-up in funding and will be offering up to 50% of an individual's fundraising target, capped at £5,000, for certain successful projects. Yes, you heard right. You could win the ability to have the amount you raised, if £5,000 or under, matched by NatWest. I wish I'd had this opportunity available when I launched Not in the High Street or even Holly & Co. Head to natwestbackerbusiness.co.uk to find out more. Also, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations of Inspiration. My mission is to help everyone build a business doing what they love. I've seen how happy founding a business based on your passions can make you and I want everyone to have that fulfilment. Happiness is the new rich and using your business as a force for good is the new way of doing commerce. So let's create a nation of happiness happy entrepreneurs that are changing the world for the better. Can I ask you a question? Might you help me on this mission? If you like what you've listened to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams. Thanks so much.
1: Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come true when you are lying in